Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You see, hypocrisy is something that God lectures about, if you want to put it in those terms, more vehemently and with more anger and more passion than anything else because it is something that not only deceives other people, it often deceives us. And we think if we act like everything is okay, perhaps everything is okay. ask you a question. Do you always admit it when you've sinned? If we're honest, we know we're masters at justifying our actions and ignoring our guilty consciences. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us just how easy it is to deceive ourselves, especially when we think we've gotten away with our sin. Our biblical example is the story of David and Bathsheba. We're looking at the time between when the sin happened and when David confessed it to God. Well, here's Pastor Mike. My wife was uh, backing the van out of the garage this week in the busy cul-de-sac that we live in. Careful and thoughtful as she is, she uh, was careful to make sure there were no children playing there behind her, but she, uh, once she cleared that off her list, she backed up and uh, heard a crunch. Well, it was one of those crunches didn't rock the car, so she didn't feel like she had backed into anything, but she looked out her window, and under her left rear wheel was uh, a crushed skateboard. <laughs> now, all the kids that were playing in the cul-de-sac stopped with stunned looks on their faces. You would, you would think we had just run over the Ark of the Covenant, you know what I mean? <laughs> they were shocked at this horrid sight, and then one of the kids started to cry. There was my wife uh, having to deal with the situation. Now, let's just imagine for a minute that my wife gets out of the car, goes up to this uh, young gal who, uh, skateboard we just crushed, and uh, says to her things like, uh, hey, how's it going? Um, how's the soccer team doing this year? Hey, you know those Girl Scout cookies we bought from you? Those were really tasty. Have a nice week. And gets in her car and drives away. <laughs> I'd hope you, th you would think there would be something terribly wrong with that scenario. You say, that's not right. Oh, she was polite and all of that. She said some nice things. She took an interest in the kid and she squared up and, and said all the right things, but though they seemed to be nice, pleasant things to say, they really weren't called for at that time. As a matter of fact, that kid only really cared about one thing. <laughs> and that's, what are we going to do about the skateboard you just ran over? Didn't want to talk about the soccer team, didn't want to talk about the weather, didn't want to talk about the neighborhood, didn't want to talk about Girl Scout cookies, wanted to talk about the broken board. That's it. And I guess you would say that that would be an appropriate thing to talk about. As a matter of fact, if my wife failed to talk about that, you would think there would be something wrong. There would be something dishonest about that. There would be something evil about that. This wouldn't be right. 
You know, the Bible uh, really portrays Christ in a way that is different than all the uh, caricatures of Christ that seem to uh, float around the landscape. People have a hard time reconciling the things that uh, Jesus says in the Bible from time to time. They have a hard time reconciling those with the, the image of Christ they've created, a real gentle, uh, mild uh, lecturer on ethics. You know, they, they have this picture of Christ. But there are times in Christ's life where he does things like takes cords and braids them together and makes a whip so that he can make a, a, a lot of noise walking into a place of worship. And, takes his arm and takes all the things that are on the table and scatters them across the room. And, and then he actually takes the tables that were there and, and he kicked them over. And then he starts yelling, telling people to get out of this place of worship. <laughs> That's a hard historical picture of Christ to reconcile with the modern view of a, a gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But the serious student of the Bible knows that there's a lot of things that Christ gets upset about. There are several things in the Bible that he would raise his voice over and did. As a matter of fact, passages like Matthew 23 reveal to us that Jesus oftentimes uses the most scathing words to confront people about their sin. And there's one sin in particular that gets more of Christ's frustration, more of his offensive and, and powerful verbiage than any other topic and any other sin in the Bible. This is a sin that seems to irk deity more than anything else. And the word that comes up over and over and over and over again when Jesus is busy calling people a brood of vipers, a, a pit full of snakes, is the word hypocrisy. And he says, woe to you, hypocrites. And then he uses illustrations. He says, you're, you're like a, a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you appear to people to be righteous and clean and all together. But on the inside, you're, you're full of dead men's bones. There's a, there's a phoniness about your life. There's a problem that you're not willing to deal with. You act like everything's okay, but everything's not okay because there's a problem that you've yet to fess up to. You were like a person that had just destroyed something precious to someone else, and then you get out and want to talk about the soccer season and how the, the day is going. It just isn't right. The Greek word is very telling that we actually just transliterate into English to get our word hypocrite. It comes from two Greek words, hupo, which simply means underneath, and the word krino, which means to determine or judge or make an assessment. And the simple compound meaning of this word is that if you were to look underneath, you would make a different assessment than you would if you're not underneath. To look behind whatever facade there is, you would see something that would be actually different than what you see on the surface. As a matter of fact, this term was used without all the negative baggage to refer to ancient actors who would put on masks. And they would be called hypocrites because in reality they are different than their mask makes them look. They might put on a mask that shows them happy and gleeful, or they may put on a mask that shows them stern and angry, or they may put on a mask that makes them look sorrowful. But whatever that mask is, of course, under the mask, they're not really sad or sorrowful or mean or angry or, or happy and jovial. They're, they're just an actor, that's all. They're hypocrites. 
See, for my wife to step out of the van and begin to talk to this child about the skateboard is what needs to happen. But for my wife to get out and talk about the weather, that's hypocritical. And as a matter of fact, however long it takes for my wife to start talking about the problem from the time she creates the problem is a period in which she is a hypocrite. Let's define it this way for the sake of our discussion this morning. Hypo uh, hypocrisy may be in your mind defined as some guy who is standing up on a platform in some ancient synagogue with flowing robes, looking all righteous and touting religious terms, but then going in the back and, and pilfering out of, the, out of the treasury, or perhaps going across town to the temple prostitutes in some place and committing some kind of, of, of immoral behavior. You may say, well, that's a hypocrite. Well, let me redefine it for you a little bit this morning. Hypocrisy is, in essence, the period of time that we live between committing sin and confessing sin. It is that interval between doing something that violates God's standard and admitting that we've done something that violates God's standard. Hypocrisy is that period that we live in where we are not fessing up to the sin that we've committed. It is that time interval. And if it takes five minutes to fess up to the sin that we've committed, then we've been hypocritical for five minutes because for five minutes we've acted like everything's okay. If it takes us five days to fess up to a wrong that we've committed, then for five days we've acted like everything is okay when in reality God is standing back saying everything is not okay and we've lived for five days as a hypocrite. You see, hypocrisy is something that God lectures about, if you want to put it in those terms, more vehemently and with more anger and more passion than anything else because it is something that not only deceives other people, it often deceives us. And we think if we act like everything is okay, perhaps everything is okay. But when we've sinned, you need to know it's not okay. No matter how much rationalization, no, how ma no matter how many excuses, no matter how many reasons I have for violating God's standard, if I've done something wrong, it needs my confession. And the longer I wait to confess it and come clean is the longer I live in the state of hypocrisy. Unfortunately, our passage for the morning in 2 Samuel chapter 11 gives us a textbook example of hypocrisy. It is unfortunate because it is played out in the life of a man that God liked very much, a man that he once had called a man after his own heart, a man that was propped up in a position of great leadership and had actually been blessed of God as a, not only a great political and military leader, but as a great example of someone whose heart was in tune with God himself and this man for a period of time an entire chapter lives as a classic hypocrite now why is that is he a Pharisee is he is he claiming to be something he's not he is claiming to be something he's not but he may not fit the traditional role in your mind of what a hypocrite is because he simply spends some time between the commission of adultery and the admission of adultery and in that period of time, he wrecks his life. And the sin is compounded. And the complication of his sin goes from bad to worse. 
And maybe this morning from studying chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, you and I can prevent the amount of time, can lessen the amount of time, can in some way move ourselves through simple confession and admission and humility from the place and the target of Jesus' most scathing words to the place of his forgiveness and his comfort. You see, because it's not the fact that you're a sinner that he wrestles with the most. He knows that. Psalm 103 says that, that he knows we're just, we're just frail children of dust and that we sin. The issue, though, for us is what do we do about it when we do sin? What is our response to sin? You have two choices. You can become a confessing, repented sinner, or you can become a hypocrite. And it doesn't just mean adultery. And you may sit here this morning looking at David's sin saying, well, thank God I haven't committed adultery this week. But it doesn't have to be adultery. It can be any sin that you commit. You can have treated your family members wrongly and not confess that. You haven't said to God, God, I'm sorry I blew it. That was wrong. You just in some way let time lessen the impact of your sin. It may be that at work you made a deal last week that was unethical or perhaps illegal and you know it's wrong or you've created an alliance or you've done some kind of, of act that you know is wrong or you've, you've built some kind of relationship that you know is inappropriate and you've done that but you haven't fa faced up to that yet. And you may be sitting here this morning as a hypocrite. You may not feel like one but if there's unconfessed sin in your life then you are because in reality you're acting as though everything is okay between you and God and God is saying there's a crushed skateboard <laughs> I'd like to talk about. So when you're ready to talk, we will talk, but if you want to pretend it didn't happen, then I've got a real problem. Notice how David quickly slips into his hypocrisy, beginning in verse 4. You saw in the first three verses David falling to temptation, not responding in the way that God would have us respond when we are hit with temptation. And so he finds himself on the front doorstep of sin, and sure enough, he walks across the line in verse 4 when it says that David sent messengers to get her, that is Bathsheba, and she came to him and he slept with her. The verbs in this sentence are just rushed. There's, just, there's no romance here. There's no Hollywood gloss on it. It's just they were attracted. They had a, a, a one-night stand, and it's over. This little parenthetical phrase tells us that she had just gone through the ancient Jewish rite of purification. And this was a sign that she was not pregnant prior with Uriah's son, that she was in now a position after her menstrual cycle to be fertile. And perhaps if we find out that she's pregnant, it won't be Uriah's child. It's going to be David's. And you know the story, and you know we get there in verse 5. But please read the last phrase in verse 4. And recognize the impact and the emotional weight that must have gone with these words. The text simply reads, then she went back home. Now, can you imagine what the rest of this night was like? Oh, I know the glitz and gloss that Satan paints the whole experience of sin, whether it's greed or materialism or the venting of our anger or sexual immorality, whatever it is, it quickly diminishes and melts before our eyes when the act of sin has been accomplished and we have fallen to temptation. Now, all of a sudden, we're left not with any feelings of, of euphoria or any adrenaline rush. We're left with only a feeling of guilt. And I imagine as David laid in his bed after Bathsheba went home, both Bathsheba and David were left to reel in the guilt of their conscience. 
I know that's true, and I know the effects of that, not only in my life of dealing with sin that's unconfessed, but David gives us a little window into this. If you keep your finger here, turn over to Psalm 32, and let me show you the descriptive terms that David uses to describe his feelings when he sins and doesn't immediately confess his sin. Do you want to know what happens? As though we need to explain it to you. In this period between committing sin and confessing sin, one thing that happens is I feel the heavy weight of guilt. Notice the poetic way in which it's described in verse 3 of Psalm 32. The first four words describe the fact that David is in the interval between committing sin and confessing sin. He says, when I kept silent. What's he talking about? I've committed a sin, but I'm not willing to talk about it. I don't want to talk to God about it. I don't want to talk to Uriah about it. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I just want to pretend it didn't happen. And when we pretend it didn't happen and we're not willing to face it, the text says something about David's life that is perhaps true about your life and mine in the midst of this interval. The text says that David's bones wasted away. Now, this is not a physiological description. This is an emotional description. This is the, the spirit of a man who knows the right thing to do and has just done the wrong thing and feels terrible guilt about it. And the Bible says that he felt as though his bones were wasting away through his groaning all day long. Do you notice how when we sin and cross a line, it just is back to haunt us all day long? And the text says in verse 4 that day and night, there was no relief. His hand, God's hand, was heavy upon David. His strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It was as though he was out in the desert walking through some wasteland with the sun beating down on his head and he felt like he had no energy to do anything. Have you been in that interval between sin and confession? Perhaps you're in that interval now and you call it a lot of things. Oh, I'm a bit depressed. I'm in a down season. I'm kind of in a valley. I'm in a desert. Whatever you want to call it, perhaps you're experiencing this thing that is triggered by an inborn software program that God has designed for everybody's life. It's called our conscience. And if you know anything about the Bible, you should know that the conscience is held on a, on a pedestal and it's supposed to be pampered in the life of the Christian. And the Christian should be very careful to pay attention to one's conscience because the conscience is a God-given gauge to let us know when we're doing wrong. It's like the old uh, comedy sketch with the doctor where the patient comes in and says, Hey, doc, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, Well... Don't do that. <laughs> well, that works. And you know, that's how it ought to work with your conscience. If that business deal gives you a pang of guilt, then it's probably not the right thing to do. If in your life that relationship with that person gives you that pang of guilt from your conscience, then you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't continue in it. If that friend, if that alliance, if that activity, if that class, if that association, if that contract gives you that feeling, if the way you relate to that person, if it gives you that feeling of guilt and it makes you feel bad, then it's probably because you're being bad and God wants you to confess it. God is looking for confession. And the conscience is a great gauge. And back, if you look in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, 
You don't see it in the text written for us, but you know it's true. If she's back home and David's left in the loneliness of his palace, putting his robes back on and sitting on the edge of his bed, you know he's reeling with guilt. You've got to know that. He was in tune with God's law. Now in verse number five, you're going to see that she gives him the dreaded news that she is pregnant. Now, gals, how, how long does it take to figure that out? There is a period of time that David is in this state between committing sin and confessing sin, and he's having to wrestle each night with his conscience. But he's not paying attention to his conscience. He's not responding to his conscience. Let me say this if you're taking notes this morning. The first thing you and I have to do if we're not going to fall into this trap of hypocrisy, if we're not going to be ensnared in this place and have it be prolonged in our lives, number one, we need to pay attention to our conscience. It needs to be something I regularly look at and think, what is my conscience doing today? Do I have a clean conscience? If you're taking notes, you may want to jot down a few references. One is Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Paul gives us the, the pattern, the standard for every Christian. He says, I always strive to keep my conscience clear. And the original text is so telling, to keep it undamaged, to keep it undefiled, to keep it from stumbling, literally is what the text says. I don't, I don't want my conscience to, to get beat up. I don't want it to be marred. I don't want it to, to be in any way defiled. Or how about when Paul wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he tells him to fight the good fight, and then he defines it. He says the good fight is to hold on to the faith and to hold on to a good conscience. Don't, don't let your conscience get beat up. If your conscience tells you you've sinned, then respond to it. Treat it with great respect. But you know, every time we say to our conscience, no, I'm not listening to that. Every time we stuff those feelings of guilt down and say, no, I don't feel that I'm really guilty in that area. And we argue with it and we discuss it and we debate it within ourselves and we tell our conscience, no, 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 shut up. It's not that bad. We are defiling. We are causing our conscience to become, as Titus puts it, defiled. Strong words from our Bible teacher, Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called How to Avoid a Life of Hypocrisy. We know God hates hypocrisy, and therefore we must take every precaution to avoid self-imposed self-destruction. You know, a great way to learn how to develop that right response to sin is by joining us on this program every day as we study God's Word. And if you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen anytime, anywhere. You can also listen on demand when you visit our broadcast archives at focalpointradio.org. Well, to help you go deeper in your understanding of God's plan for salvation, this month we're featuring a timeless classic from the beloved British preacher Charles Spurgeon, who is known for his thoughtful and precise biblical exposition. It's a book titled All of Grace. It clearly and concisely explains the futility of relying on our own good works for salvation because we all need God's grace. We'll send you a copy of All of Grace as our thanks when you make a donation to Focal Point this month. This book is perfect for anyone who questions the validity of their salvation. 
Just call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to request the book, All of Grace, when you contact us. Go to focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for our devotional email. Each week, you'll receive an uplifting devotional from Pastor Mike, a reminder to turn your thoughts toward God. And it's free. Go to focalpointradio.org. We look forward to connecting with you by email, by phone, and through social media. You can find our Facebook page by going to facebook.com slash focalpointministries. Follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash focalpointradio. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.